Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Oh, hi, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About Myths, baby. I am, as always, Liv. And today I'm here with a bonus episode. That's right. This is a bonus episode because I just love content and could not in good conscience have a series covering ancient Sparta without talking very specifically about the movie 300. 
Now, I've mentioned it a lot throughout this series, and I might have said this before, but I think a lot of people are probably going to think that I'm like overemphasizing the impact of 300, that most people in the world didn't get their knowledge of Sparta from a movie that is so obviously stylized and based on a graphic novel that's equally as over the top and stylized. But truthfully, this movie was influential in a way that no other movie featuring the ancient world has been. Sparta has always been a place that different groups of people, politically and otherwise, were interested in and chose to pick and choose what they wanted out of Sparta to fit their narratives. But 300 made that far more intense, and it helped to spawn like a whole generation of ultra-right-wing conservatives and white supremacists. As you heard in yesterday's conversation with Stephen Hodkinson, imagery from 300 is used by these sorts of people all the time, in addition to the concepts that the movie presents about Sparta. It's fascinating, but it's also dark. Unlike so many other vaguely silly movies about the ancient world, this one has this like sinister side to it. That, and I mean, it's just so deeply 2006 and it's racist as hell. Whoa. But obviously, that's what we're about to talk about in this conversation episode. I enlisted my friend Ben, who runs the ridiculously popular meme account Classical Studies Memes for Hellenistic Teens. I know Ben through Twitter, but he's got content everywhere. He also teaches ancient history, and so he knows his stuff. So we are here to break down the wild things featured in this movie. If you haven't seen it, well, you might still be wildly entertained, because the wonderful Michaela, who works on All Things Podcast, she also hasn't seen it, and still had a ball listening to this, and spent a lot of her time googling the bizarre things that we mentioned. It's going to be a fun one. This is the bonus episode, Xerxes, hairless like a sphinx cat, tearing apart the 300 film with Ben of Classical Studies Memes for Hellenistic Teens. So we can just kind of dive right in because there's so much to talk about when it comes to the movie 300 (laughs) that's my transition um yeah i'm glad i saw it again it had been a while and i do think Mm -hmm. that like every time i rewatch it like i am aware of everything that is so problematic and then i still am like managed to be surprised yeah, things just crop up and you're like, oh my god, I forgot that that's in it. <laughs> yeah, or you just like see more of it. So like, mm. I mean, we'll get <laughs> we're gonna do specifics, but I'll just say up front, like the thing I noticed this time more than anything, and I think it's because of where my headspace is at, but is the American imperialism of it all. Oh my god, yes. It's just like for a movie that features primarily non-Americans, like in mm. terms of actors, let alone the actual subject yeah. matter, it is. Uh, like an American imperialist uh, movie. It's basically just like pro Iraq war, but in <laughs> ancient Greece. Yeah. Um, well, I was interested because I, I did a little bit of uh, reading around the topic because people always bring up that, you know, it's based on a graphic novel and by Frank Miller and all this sort of thing. And I was, I was quite interested because he wrote it in 1998 yeah. Um, but the film obviously came out in 2006. And I don't know if people know, but something kind of important happened in the years in between that on <laughs> September 11, 2001. Um, and that 
massively uh, influenced, obviously, American culture and all the stuff that went into the making of this film. And, and that's where I think a lot of the, the directly anti-Eastern, Middle Eastern, and, you know, all of that sort of stuff comes through that, you know, that the, the brown skin guys are the bad guys and the white guys are the good guys sort of thing. Um, and a lot of that comes from that. But what's really interesting is that people might say, oh, it was just the filmmakers doing that. But like Frank Miller, who wrote 300, it's like notoriously anti-Islamic already. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, which came first? I do think, <laughs> I do think too, like the, the big difference with, the Frank or not the big difference, but rather like the time period is simply that he wrote it after the first Gulf war. Mm. And then by the time the movie came out, there was just another American war in the middle East. And so I, yeah, like I think the same issues are all there. It's just, we then think of it as being related to a different war. (laughs) We have this whole plan of, we would start at the beginning. Uh, But I, again, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about the American uh, of it yes. all but yes. so i think literally from the very first moments of this movie it is playing into these really fascinating stereotypes about sparta like i think so many people would come at this and be like you know why don't take it seriously it's a movie like it, it doesn't have historical accuracies or whatever like maybe basically assuming that people would not think of it as real which of course hmm. when it comes to this movie is like in entirely problematic generally because people have already decided that it is historically accurate but what is so interesting about it is that it is technically quite accurate based on the ancient sources it's just that the ancient sources weren't accurate yeah i mean i I mean i made this point i think it's, it's kind of my biggest point about the film is that people say that if you take the the film or the comic as a, an older spartan telling the story to you know younger generations and exaggerating because that was kind of the idea of it then they say you know then then it fits with that and i'm like on one level that can kind of work but then they kind of cut themselves a bit short because they have the whoever faramir whoever he plays <laughs> um he's telling the story but then like at the end you see that he's just telling the story at the battle of platea which was like a year mm-hmm. later so it's like these fans <laughs> aren't gonna like believe most of the extremely exaggerated stuff because that's you know they were they're also there in that society and and the problem is that the version that we have through the historians is already the exaggerated version. So you don't actually have to do anything more to that, like all the creepy weird E4s and the and the and the battle rhinos and all that sort of stuff. Because <laughs> already we have this amazing fantastical account of it through Herodotus and Plutarch and and so on. So yeah, that that that's kind of my retort, I suppose, to people who say, Oh, you know, it's fine if you take it, you know, as as being a sort of a a uh, 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 fantastical tale and I'm like well yes mm-hmm. and no mm-hmm. well and I forget which of my guests said this because I've now talked to too many people about Thermopylae on the podcast sure. but one of my guests made the point that like even in this movie which Sparta did this I think broadly themselves and it's just true in this movie that mm-hmm. it's them you know hyping themselves up after Thermopylae and they're mm-hmm. basically convincing themselves and the rest of the Greeks that Thermopylae was a victory, even when, I mean, obviously everyone died, but 
by doing it with the and we're just going to keep calling him Faramir because I don't see a reason Absolutely. why not to. <laughs> um and so I think the the reason this like or we this argument stands is that Faramir basically plays that role at Plataea like he's maybe not you know doing the like d- the way you described it the sort of you know older Spartan looking back because again yeah like you said it's been a year um but he is like hyping Thermopylae up as this big yeah. victory in order to hype them up for Plataea Plataea I don't know if it's Plataea or Plataea it's probably Plataea um <laughs> yeah I mean also nothing matters it's not <laughs> getting to Thermopylae 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 <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. The uh, pronunciation of Greek. I do love when people are like, that's the English pronunciation is wrong. And you're like, well, I mean, it's an English pronunciation of a, yeah. an ancient language. So yeah. maybe we just do whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is, it's so interesting in that way, but you're right. Like the, the way that like Herodotus and Plutarch completely exaggerated what happened is enough. Mm. And then, mm. yeah. And then Frank Miller comes in and does the E4s and does the, the wildness there so i mean let's maybe let's go back to again starting at the beginning sure and talk about all of the things that are i want to kind of break down what is and is not accurate because i think this movie is the best way to really break down those myths around sparta and it starts out with like this huge bang of the idea that children are inspected um Mm. by the elders or whatever when they're born and i actually i feel like i thought that there was more of an explicit um eugenics aspect in this scene mm-hmm. but re-watching it i think is a little less clear like they didn't explicitly say they were going to throw them off a mountain if the babies weren't perfect right <laughs> did i miss yeah. that they were they were they were definitely tapping into that kind of mm-hmm. myth i suppose but it wasn't <laughs> as as much as maybe the opening of assassin's creed odyssey <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm just conflating the two. But yeah, there's this longstanding myth and it was started by Plutarch, who is a major, major source for Frank Miller when it comes to this graphic novel. Because Plutarch just says that they did this, even though Plutarch was writing like 700 years later and he was during the Roman period. And like, I mean, I can't imagine how he, he would have known, but it became this longstanding idea about Sparta and then ancient Greece broadly, this idea that like, if a child wasn't perfect, they were either, you know, thrown off of Mount Taietos, like in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, or, mm. or just like left out to die in the wilderness, mm. which of course happens in a lot of myths, but in those myths, it, it yeah, I mean, it, but it, it features as like always a plot point, you yeah. know, it's like, to move the story forward, whereas in this case, it's just like death. But I'll just say that's well, been completely disproven. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I think I think also there's a lot of um cultural stuff and, and, and look, I'm not an expert in this, but um in that whole that whole myth people would always um sort of raise like why are these people always leaving um children out in the woods, you know, <laughs> in all these myths. And and one of the ideas that I remember in that was that in, in general Greek culture, and I'm not sure how specific it is to Sparta, but actually the killing of your own children was a really, really bad thing. Like, you'd Mm. be chased by the Furies for it because it's killing a family member. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas exposure of a child was kind of Mm -hmm. like, not near a moral gray area. So even, like, the idea that they would throw these kids off the mountains just seems so removed from, you know, Greek mores, even of the time. That's very true. Yeah, like, there is a really big difference between exposure which is that you didn't kill them. (laughs) You just left them somewhere and then they died. Aw, shucks. Yeah, the difference between that and actually throwing a child off of a mountain 
to the Greeks, that is, not to us. Like, they're both, yeah, they're yeah. both homicide today. We are <laughs> no, not no. <laughs> endorsing <laughs> this. <laughs> I mean, I talk a lot about how much I love Medea. Like, you know, I feel like I've already <laughs> walked this line enough on the show. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Like, the, the Furies would absolutely come for you. So it does seem, I mean, I think... I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated by Sparta generally because they we really don't know much about their no. day to day life. And so I'm always curious, like how how they handle their religious everything mm. in comparison mm. to, say, Athens, because we just don't really know. So part well, of me is like, right, do they care about the Furies in the same way? Yeah, well, they were fantastic at not leaving any uh, cultural um remnants for us to in any way yeah but they, they were religious they were definitely religious like um like mm-hmm. most of the artifacts we have come from the temple of artemis i think um mm. that big one where um there, there are lots and lots of votive offerings in there so they definitely were religious people mm-hmm. we just don't have the like the meat on the sandwich unfortunately to say <laughs> how they thought about these things yeah yeah so it's it's almost like I, I wonder if they had the same connections that we think of mm. like definitely religious but i wonder if they had the same kind of moral understandings mm. that that Athens well it's did. It, it's a it's a great point for your listeners to to remember and realize that of course greek culture is not a monolith never was and there wasn't really a a, a greece um as much as the kind of the the persian wars makes you want to think um, and that, yeah, and, and each of these city-states had, you know, unique and fascinating takes on all of these cultures. We just don't necessarily have much of them. <laughs> yeah, and what we do have tends to come from Athens. So we have this enormous Athenian bias, and it's just because they wrote stuff down. It's not because they were necessarily, like, you know, the most memorable. It's just they left you know, it that, for us. That's exactly what the Roman historian Sallus says in his opening of the, of the Catiline Conspiracy. He says, the Athenians aren't like the most amazing people. They just had the historians. Us Romans, we were out busy killing and conquering, but the Athenians <laughs> wrote stuff down. Like so, even in the ancient world, they were aware of the bias that Athenian history writing had. Well, it's funny that you say that because I'm working on another episode for the show that I think will have come out by this point, um, where we're opening it with a quote from Thucydides, who says not the same thing, but something similar enough, yes. where he's like basically says that you know if you look at Athens you're going to think it's this incredible place because of the buildings and stuff that will remain and then Sparta just never yes, yes. yeah built the same way they didn't leave or didn't intend yeah, to leave the same were, things they were aware and even in the ancient world that Sparta would leave very little of a footprint behind but also you can yeah. imagine why Thucydides would be a bit salty about Athens <laughs> He is acknowledging the Spartan power, though, in this quote. He's just like, no one's going to know it later. Well, you always got to talk up the people that whipped your ass in a 30-year war, don't you? <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, that leads right into everything else about Sparta, which is just that primarily the Athenians wrote about it. So we have all of these, like, potentially and typically very biased mm. histories and things. Or I guess Herodotus certainly isn't Athenian, but, like, he still has the same biases mm. um because he was not spartan and yeah it's so interesting trying to dig up like what you know what was actually going on and then you add to the lack of sourcing you add to the fact that like sparta did seem to pretty intentionally hype up thermopylae after the fact yes. and they were like yeah we were amazing can you believe <laughs> how good we were wow it took them three days to get past a wall and kill you all that's amazing guys well done <laughs> How to draw your helots fair during that battle, Sparta? 
Um, yeah. So so, yeah. so so one thing I will say is that uh, before I watched three hundred yesterday, as we did our live tweeting of it, um, I had much more recently seen the mock film oh, Meet yeah. the Spartans, and there were so many moments during the film because you know this this um, this parody film was so fresh in my mind. There were so many moments during the film where I was like, oh, that's right, that's what they were parodying, and then I can't get the parody out of my head. So there's this op- this opening scene with the where the kid is just basically like thrown into the wilderness, like he's not given any actual training. It's just like survival, like bear grill seven year old sort of thing. Um, and and that scene, like I can't get out of my head the fact that like in this parody film, instead of this being this large wolf, it's just like this like African American penguin from happy feet coming along and <laughs> slapping him with his flippers like it's just one of the most ridiculous things i've ever seen but like it's so much better like, yeah for some reason it's just so such a better scene this I giant mean, it's... waddling penguins <laughs> it's like equally accurate too yeah I mean, yeah yeah like... might as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> that happened just about as much as kids being thrown to wolves uh, but yeah. that's a perfect segue into that, which is that that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no. They're like the 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 portrayal of the agoge is so different to even what the actual sources that we have say about it. Um, it was you know quite regimented and quite um, focused on education, and it was you know the children living together and and living in in, in barracks and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, not just like chuck them out into the wilderness and see if they come back. Yeah, exactly. It was, I mean, it was just broadly, it was school. It was an education system, but yeah, you're right. It it focused on like community building kind of thing where they were all stuck together. um, And just, I mean, it was basically about just building Spartans to be Spartan, like always about emphasizing that you're Spartan and what that means and that shared culture and keeping that culture away from everybody else and (laughs) letting it die with you is basically what happened. Which is like eerily similar to a certain youth program that a certain country put in place Mm. about 90 years ago. Yeah, and did that country also really like Sparta? (laughs) Yeah, they were into that. Yeah, and and they actually um, got the idea. Yeah, I think I think it was during yeah. So we're talking about the Nazis here, guys. Sorry, Um, (laughs) um, but during the Battle of Stalingrad, I think they all started Mm. talking about the (laughs) Mopola. Like it was this heroic thing. I think it was quite funny because they yeah. got their asses whipped too. Which I mean, it's it is hilarious how often Thermopylae is used as a kind of like rallying cry, almost like a it's like a thing to motivate you, it, or it's it's often used that way, like to yeah. motivate soldiers or like, something. You're like, guys got everyone died. Like <laughs> everyone the people who ran died. away. Yeah. Good for them, the Thebans. <laughs> yeah. No, not the Thebans. They the Thebans actually and sorry, this is a point that I will make. The Thebans yeah. were not allowed to leave. Um from according to Herodotus, because um and I might, I might be wrong on this, but cut this out if it's boring. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember I remember reading Herodotus because I was teaching this last year and um he says that basically Leonidas kept them as hostages so that the Thebans wouldn't um, go over to the uh, to the Persians, which I thought was quite funny. 
Interesting. Okay. So, and I'm not, I haven't read uh, enough Herodotus recently. Thankfully, I, <laughs> Michaela is doing most of my research for this series because I'm going to die. Um, but is it, which is the time when, because at some point the Thebans side with the Persians and like actually move over and are basically like, you can come through Boeotia to get mm. to us. Uh, which I didn't know until recently when I had on Michael Furman, who um, specializes in Thebes, and he came on my show to talk about Thebes and basically how they did that. Um, but I also was reading about how Herodotus really had a thing against the Thebans, probably yes. because of that. And so he also really set out to make them look bad in his telling of Thermopylae, which is interesting in itself. Yeah, well, um, there's actually actually quite a lot of um, Herodotus just, just settling personal scores in um, in his account of it because there's a Love story that, that they're like they're the two people that escape from the from the army and one of them's Ephialtes and one of them's another one and there are mm. I think a couple of different versions of the story but like the idea was that like where they went to afterwards like the cities that they they states that they went to were the ones that Herodotus didn't like and they were like having a dig at them. <laughs> Because they, oh, you, you're taking in the like deserters, and uh, uh, there's so much of it that's just sort of mixed up and and yeah, bias and petty grievances. Yeah, I mean between yeah, Herodotus <laughs> settling scores in his histories, and then Plutarch also coming in and being like, the seven hundred years that have passed mean that I am exactly the right person to tell <laughs> this accurately and like not oh skew God. history for the next two thousand years. And by the way, when I write all my biographies, I'm just going to cherry pick the facts that work out so that they parallel with other people. Isn't that cool? Definitely not a bad way to do it. I mean, they're they're called parallel lives. Let's ignore everything that doesn't parallel. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so, um, yeah, the whole story of Thebes and that sort of thing at the time is maybe a bit more complicated than um, Robert Cattle mm -hmm. right now. Anyway. No, no, but it is interesting. And I think, and I'll, like, I wish I had looked up more recently exactly what I was talking about. But it, it is just interesting. I know the Thebans were certainly, like, not well respected after no. that. Um, I I personally love Thebes. I will forever. It's fine. But, it, I mean, it is interesting how much everyone else is forgotten broadly. Like, the movie does feature other Greek city-states. show up in the, in the yeah. film mainly. yeah. Which I, I maybe is, it, it's interesting because I mean, they do mention the thespians and the Thebans. Yes, and I the Phocians, the Phocians get, get a little mention like, the Phocians were God in the past. They ran away. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's their land. Uh, um, anyway, that's, yeah, that's very interesting. Well, it's, what it, what was interesting to me in just like researching all of this too, um, and this will come back to 300, but basically this is also mm -hmm. just a conversation about Thermopylae. Sure. Uh, but, uh, the, like, there's the epigraph. I know there's the epigraph, uh, that's for the Spartans that they quote in yep. 300. Mm -hmm. Go to passerby, go tell the Spartans, blah, blah, blah. But there's also an epigraph there that's for the other Greeks that Herodotus describes. Mm. Um, but what's funny to me is that it basically says that, like, here on this spot is where however many Peloponnesians fought back the three million persians yes. um and so i i mean it's it kind of blew my mind that it was peloponnesians because it's kind of like well what about like 
everyone who helped that wasn't from the Peloponnese. But I think that that is another like dig at Thebes and stuff because yeah, yeah, even though the, yeah, the Phokians, the Thebans and the Thespians are all not Peloponnesian and all were there. Yeah. I remember um, I got out a big map of this when I was teaching it and I sort of, um, I I put a little dot next to all the places where um, uh, the Herodotus says that Leonidas recruited people from basically on the way. And um, you can kind of see like the clear line that he takes to get there. Um, And there are quite a few from the kind of the northeastern Peloponnese. Mm. And I think that it's more just the fact that they were their friends and that like after that it became less of like, hey, do you guys want to come and fight? I was like, get your soldiers, come with us or we're going to beat you. Um, (laughs) But I do like the idea that Leonidas pretty much set out not really knowing what he was getting into <laughs> sort of halfway there he's like oh crap we better get some more people and just <laughs> press gang to whoever he could find into fighting on the way i really like that as an interpretation of events because it's just it's much funnier well it also sounds kind of like what i have learned that is kind of sparta's mo which is that they really tried to avoid fighting themselves as much as possible they tried Absolutely. to get everyone else to fight their battles for them not least because if they left home for an extended period of time, their entire enslaved population of people could more easily rise up against them. Which but was also the just one generally... thing that they were concerned about. It was always, exactly. oh, hell, lots are revolting. We can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, their entire concern as a people was keeping the helots from revolting and conserving their culture and like who got to be Spartan and who was yes. not allowed to be Spartan. And that everything else was just like extra which is mm-hmm. just fascinating mm. i think we'd got through like the first three minutes of the film so yeah well. so, <laughs> so it's just a conversation well. about everything apparently yeah um i'm trying to think about, oh yeah um, so you know we're talking about the agoge and um what's what's really funny is they show the scene with like this obviously it's supposed to be young leonidas i think being taken off um and then like you know he's already some for some reason training to fight at home which like why um and then like he's like being pulled away by these guards and the mother's like crying and stuff like why (laughs) like yeah for sure like she would not in any way be uh disproving of this it was you know just part of their duty to the state but what they really um skip over is the really cool part about Leonidas's life is that he mm-hmm. shouldn't have gone through the Agoge if he were was going to be the king, because it was not the way that they did it, and it was only the fact that he had there were massive shenanigans with his father and his two wives and having all these children and his brothers and half brothers going off and doing all this sort of thing, getting killed and getting banned and all this. Sort of, it's a very, very funny story of getting there um, before the point at which he marries his own niece. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a whole lot going on there. But yeah, you know so, this. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, doing his family tree is quite interesting. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the point being that, you know, if you were the king, you wouldn't usually... Um, go through that agoga you'd have your own special sort of kingly upbringing but um, because he was third in line he was whipped off um, and so you know some people might say that he had more of the sort of the heroic military aspect to him but that's again probably just another aspect of the spartan mirage well exactly like the whole point of the agoga which yeah we started talking about i don't even know how that went off topic so much mm-hmm. uh 
But the whole point of the Agoge was just to be school. Like there were there was definitely some kind of survival aspects, but mm-hmm. I think it's no more than just like needing to be able to survive in ancient Greece. Like it wasn't about being thrown to the wolves, literally, and it was just about like existing in life. And I mean, even the girls got to go to school. Like it was just yes. that they had a public school system, which was broadly really unique and interesting. But then it's become this whole idea that they were, it was this incredible survival skills boot camp kind of thing, or in 300 where it's literally like as if they start off day one training to be warriors, when in fact every warrior notion about Sparta comes after Thermopylae, and Mm. it's their kind of invention based on Thermopylae, which I just... I'll never get over how kind of fascinating that is that they sort of set out to do it. Like the whole idea of the Spartan Mirage, either between the ancient sources and then their own propaganda is mm. utterly amazing. Well, they basically started spinning this tall tale about themselves and they're like, oh crap, we actually have to do it now because people might come <laughs> yeah. and visit. <laughs> um, which is why I think that like um, Xenophon is a really great source because he mm-hmm. um, knew the Spartans really well and he, he spent some time there. And so he got like a, bit more sort of first-hand account but he's writing from a time at which you know they've kind of gotten around to actually doing some of the stuff that they said about themselves yeah yeah one thing i find really interesting about this the the modern uh the the groups i guess that have kind of taken the 300 spartan sort of thing and kind of made it their own thing you you get a lot of this kind of like that blend between the kind of american libertarians and the kind of the alt-right sort of thing, which I find really interesting um, because Sparta is like a really heavily state-controlled society. And mm-hmm. that's like the opposite of libertarianism. And it's like, uh, hey, hey, check this one out, guys. But but then when you look at the film, they don't show that kind of like heavy, like everyone being indoctrinated into this heavily prescribed thing. They just show this one kid going out into the wilderness and like bending for himself, which is really pandering to that kind of like, you know, I'm my own individual sort of thing, but also like, you know, we're all great soldiers as a result of that. Like it doesn't work like that anyway. Um, But I I find that like to be the most interesting kind of uh, in general, like looking at at how people have, have misused Sparta and thinking like, really guys do you really want to have like this massive state control uh, and no money and all that sort of stuff (laughs) that's the thing i think that people really latch on to like these certain aspects of it that tend to be the least accurate um because you're right like it does play into like the american like quote-unquote freedom mentality like this idea that like you just gotta love your country and be free nationalism this episode is a lot more yeah this episode is a lot more anti-american shout out to all our american listeners (laughs) it's most of my listenership um but i also think it's important like i think as as americans not people don't see this and often i think they're open to seeing it but it when that's your whole the way you are as people it is more difficult to see through that their own like american mirage which is absolutely a thing so i think yeah the libertarians certainly it's hilarious to think of the way they have kind of taken hold of that and also just like all of the freedom people like the even last year you know i don't want to make this all about america so canada had our absolutely monstrous trucker convoy Uh, anti-vax nonsense right it was protesting 
nothing. Yes. Um, and it was horrible and ridiculous and made our country look like an absolute joke. But a lot of Molan Labe stuff appeared oh in God. that convoy as well. And and so, you know, to make sure the listener knows, even though I'll, I will have said it a lot by this point, but Molan Labe is the, is the ancient Greek um, for the phrase that kind of technically or, you know, in a way means something like come and take them or come and mm-hmm. take it or basically the implication being that the Persians wanted Sparta and Leonidas is like, essentially, you have to come and take it out of my cold dead hands kind of thing, um, yep. which, of course, the number one thing to point out with that is the Persians did take it all of it they all died um but it has somehow become this like freedom rallying cry of like being pro-gun anti-vax like it's so many different things but it all tends to revolve around this idea of freedom which is truly hilarious because the spartans were i would say the least quote-unquote free of the ancient Greek city states that we have enough evidence for, like they were completely determined by the state. The state ran everything down to keeping most of their money and Mm -hmm. ensuring that like, they weren't even allowed to work. If you were an official Spartan, you weren't allowed to work. You Mm -hmm. had to have land that was run by helots. Like there's so many things that were required. You had to devote this much time to the state every year, this much money, this much food. You had to do all these different things. Like the requirements were wild. They were the least free. (laughs) And it has become this idea that like just because military kind of then fits into their history Mm -hmm. in its own unique kind of way that somehow because they had this big military, they are connected to all these ideas of, of like north american ideas of freedom and i'm saying north american there because canada definitely does a lot of that too not to the same degree but enough i i i affectionately refer to these sorts of people as moron labe um (laughs) because they don't really know what they're saying or why um yeah we did have our own uh our own um convoy Convoy? thing last year but what was what was really funny about it is that for for many people who don't know new zealand it's two large islands and they decided to start it at the bottom of the south island and then travel up to the north island and then obviously they got to the top of the south island and they realized that they had to take the ferry across but you needed a vaccine pass to go on the ferry Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We'll just put it in here. I did laugh so hard that I knocked out my own microphone recording. And <laughs> again. Yeah. I think the next the next thing in the film that I think is really worth talking about is um the the presentation of the E fours, mm-hmm, which I thought mm-hmm. is like it's one of the most egregious parts of the of the whole film because they 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 make them out to be some kind of like old twisted weird deformed like it's obviously really ableist to start with and there's a lot of that in the film because it's Frank mm-hmm. Miller and that sort of thing but like they like they're being like the narrator is calling them this kind of like um horrible people and all this sort of thing as well as them being presented as just sort of awful weird looking but also weird acting people who kind of molest the oracle which is just like it's very very disturbing because in reality the ephors were essentially just a uh, a uh, uh, one function of the sort of balance of powers within the Spartan state. Um, yeah, they were just part of their political structure. Yeah. And they were like, like the village elders who got a say in things. Like it's 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 hard I'm trying to think of a, a modern comparison of it's being like, you know, the House of Lords or something. <laughs> being like all weird oh, okay. <laughs> Probably not the best example within the British. But... Yeah, I was gonna say they do say they're inbred in the movie. <laughs> See, we don't just dunk on Americans, we get the British too. <laughs> Have you seen their teeth? <clears throat> yes. So I mean, so like, if you put. insulting that I intended. <laughs> let's, let's be fair, if you put Mitch McConnell in a hood, then he'd probably look like one of the evils in the yep. film too. Yeah, yeah. Or Boris Johnson. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's very weird and unnecessary to make them that way because, yeah, yeah they were just a political, a, a part of the political structure of Sparta. They were deeply normal. It was not out of the ordinary in ancient Greek city-states broadly to yeah. have that kind of thing like it was pretty normal it was actually probably one of the most normal things about sparta given sparta had all these kings mm. that greece was not really into kings at that point let alone sparta having two of them oh yes the missing second king what was yes, he up and... to during the film <laughs> exactly speaking of politics the e4s are nonsensical in this movie and like you said are disgusting with the oracle which would have just been the oracle of delphi like they would have had to yeah. travel a really long ways almost actually about as far as thermopylae just in a slightly different direction, <laughs> they would have had to do that just to go to the Oracle, let alone anything else. Um, but yeah, speaking of political, Sparta had two kings. Leonidas mm. was one of two. And that is such an important part, because also I would imagine the other king stayed behind, right? And yes, well, that was the idea, that, that one king would lead the army and one would always stay back in Sparta so that you'd never have a leadership vacuum in times of war. Right, yeah. And it's... Yeah, the, I mean, all of the political stuff in the movie is deeply weird, and it all is just like to weirdly valorize Leonidas, who I think deserves a lot of respect for what he yeah, did, I, but not as much as we give him. No, I think I think he was acutely aware of the sacrificial value of his actions. Mm. He was aware of the fact that um, him dying could be and was ultimately a good opportunity for propaganda he was a he was a next level marketer um but um you know he he wasn't you know some sort of godlike figure heroic sort of martyr sort of thing like it does make it out that he is what I, what i what i will say is that um my one of my biggest complaints about the film, and it and I almost definitely will go back to the graphic novel, is that there's actually like so much unnecessary padding out of the story because there really isn't that much to the story. Like the 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 Persians invade, they go off and fight. There's three days of battle and then they die. Like the, the, like if it was just that, then it would be over very quickly. Um, and so that they have to have this whole like subplot of like you know the 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 whoever Dominic West plays in the film, I cannot think of him as anyone but Traitoro, which is the parody film Meet the Spartans oh. version of him. And like he's called Traitoro. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the perfect name for him. I don't care what he's called in, in 300. He is Traitoro. But anyway, like, the whole plot with him like being paid off and then like trying to, you know, do the, and then like Gorgo having to try and like talk to the council. It's all just bullshit but like mm -hmm. it's done to just sort of pad out the film and make it last a bit longer so they don't just get killed in the first 40 minutes um and yeah so it just frustrates me in that sense. well that and like i think that if they had gone for some actual like more historical accuracy they probably could have padded it out in a much more accurate way like with a whole storyline on the second king what's he yeah. doing like what's yeah. the purpose of having a second king it's quite <laughs> weird maybe we should talk about it or if like the the whole Carnea festival that is accurate mm. too, too right like they well not i mean it's very spartan accurate where i think there's a lot of times where they claimed that they couldn't go to war because of various it's a convenient festivals and things excuse for them yeah yeah <laughs> but i like i don't think yeah i, I mean it's interesting cuz i do think that that was part of the historical 
record of it, but not so much him making this big show of, oh, we're just going for a walk to Thermopylae, which I also think it's so one dumb. of the things that, it's so silly. And one of the things that really stands out to me and just remembering watching it when this movie was first out um, is like really having no grasp on how far that yes. would have been. It's yeah. really far. And it's I do not time. think they make that clear. No. It's like they're walking up to the isthmus or something with how far it seems. Yeah, and then and then just like they're at like a crossroad, and then like the Arcadians are coming from the other <laughs> one. They just happen to like cross paths <laughs> at the same time. It's so funny, and then um that whole scene where they um where they see the Arcadians, and it's like, what do you guys do? And it's like, oh, I'm a painter, or I'm a potter. Or oh and it's like, god. oh my god, like we get it. Like you're trying to show off that you're like this ultra militaristic state but do you want to mention the fact that you don't have those jobs because a you can't and b yeah. you have like slaves to do that stuff <laughs> uh. yeah that was one of the things that uh was sort of a new standout for me with everything it's... i've learned since the last time i saw it um because yeah i mean they were legally not allowed to have those jobs it's not like mm. they chose to be warriors they were like one of my guests described it as they were they had to have a leisure class in order for you to be Spartan you had to be of a leisure class you had to have so much money and so many enslaved people that you literally didn't have to do any of the work for yourself and so think, sure that's why they can say yeah. that they're career like warriors which also is nonsense they barely trained yeah well I think I think it's also useful to point out that there's this sort of the middle level of um the the Spartan society um, with the Perioikoi, who were mm-hmm. not necessarily enslaved, but um, they were kind of like did the sort of craftsmanship and trading and merchants and that sort of thing, and they were kind of the the fringe people of the of the of the Lacedaemon um, area. So yeah, so like even if you if you didn't have the halots to do it, you just got your neighbors to do it for you as well. It's crazy. Well, exactly, and they're technically not spartan the perioikoi they're like free people who lived in laconia who weren't spartan citizens because they probably didn't have the money to become spartan citizens because you could also have your spartan like i mean citizenship but like also your like status as a quote-unquote spartiate which is the official class like you could have that revoked Mm -hmm. because you didn't have enough money to do all of the things that we've been talking about so i mean Mm -hmm. also the the biggest thing that's like fascinating about Sparta is the way that their population struggled because of all of these requirements and eventually became their complete downfall and that like they weren't able to keep a high enough population because they were they were so strict about what allowed you to be Spartan that they ended up not having enough Spartans to keep Sparta going which um which maybe ties into the moral panic that white people are having at the moment. <laughs> oh, God. This whole like, oh, you have to be like, oh, pure-blooded white supremacist as well, actually. Like, there's not many of you left, guys. So. <laughs> anyway. I gotta find Atlantis. <clears throat> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's there. just so interesting. <laughs> I always do, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, um, literally, Atlantis is why I'm now covering Sparta, so. Uh, right. Well, yes, it's rabbit hole sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. one of the other interesting scenes early on in the film is the uh the messenger and the the, mm-hmm. the very large well, the the non um, <laughs> safety compliant. <laughs> <well. laughs> like I really, Why I really wish that. 
I know. I really wish in the film that they actually had like some guy come along and be like, this is so if you could put some like cones around it, some tape. Not even in the parody film did they go there. Instead, they just had like oh. a, an American Idol parody where they just kicked all the people down the well. Um, <clears throat> which, you know, so well it's like it's a, it's a cool moment in the film. Like, you know, it's, it's an it, iconic yeah. scene where he you know, yells, this is Sparta and kicks the guy down the well. But <clears throat> not a great um, retort to someone telling you that you're mad to then like, kick them into a well like it doesn't really refute their point very much um but but i will say is that the story that that is based on from memory actually refers to an event from the first persian invasion in 490 where some of the messengers were treated rather badly and in one case perhaps thrown down a well but Mm. it didn't actually happen in 480 from what i believe that's interesting yeah conflated to make it more interesting um, yeah. There is, there is actually a, a, like a really, um, a, there was a really interesting um, story that they completely left out with this whole thing, like um, that one of the former, the, the the deposed king or whatever it was, he was over in Sparta in Persia, and he was in the Persian court, and he sent like the secret message to them, and um, like it was like inscribed on the on the wood of a wax tablet. And it was Gorgo who figured out how to melt the wax and then see the message that was hidden underneath. And all of this stuff, and it's like, it's in someone. It's in Plutarch or something like that. Like, it's as, it's as real or as accurate as any of the other stuff that happened. Yeah. But, like, that's a far more interesting thing to put in the story. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I know. And it's kind of like, I mean, there's a lot of... um sort of stuff later on to sort of trying to sort of make out Gorgo to be this kind of interesting character because um, one of the things that um, our later writers did was they, and I can't remember who it is, but they put together this whole like kind of the sayings of Spartans. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just like a collection of like all these like laconic or witty retorts (laughs) and basically like um, (laughs) comebacks that the um that the spartans were supposed to have said and basically whoever wrote it probably just thought up like what would be the funniest or wittiest or cleverest thing to say in any situation that actually happened and that's where you get a lot of the whole like tonight we'll dine in hades or you know and uh we'll fight them in the shade and come and take them all that sort of stuff it's probably just a later invention because there was this kind of myth again that developed that spartans were really good at quick snappy comebacks um <laughs> but it's always really funny if you think of them going mm <laughs> After they say it, <laughs> like we'll drown out the sun in our arrows. Ooh, fight in the shade, honey. <laughs> so much funnier. It really is. Yeah. I also I think that that's attributed to Plutarch often. Yeah, probably. If I, yeah, yeah, because no I know that's Plutarch. stuff that Michaela has found. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or at mean, least Plutarch is picking it up off someone else who's magic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's all so interesting. Just the way we all of these different things but that idea about gorgo is like that would have given her i mean of course this is why it didn't happen because it's frank miller and it's 2006 and it's Zack snyder (laughs) um but yeah but like gorgo's whole role is to seem like a strong woman but also to experience rape because like a woman can't live a life without like overcoming (laughs) sexual trauma and it's tired. Like yeah. she could have been so much more in that movie, especially with this story of the tablet. Like that's yeah. so cool. It could yeah, have given her a story. whole storyline that does not require to, her to be a survivor of assault. 
Yes, that's that is by far the I, I I mean of a film where there are a lot of questionable choices or you know in the graphic novel of, of, of all of the things there, I think it's the most egregious and that it's completely unnecessary, um, mm-hmm. and it is just like if if you say that ninety percent of the film is violence porn, like there's a ten percent of the film which is kind of just porn porn, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate if people are getting off to that sort of thing. It feels like Game of Thrones, where they just also Ooh, felt yes. the need to just put in like egregious rape scenes for absolutely no reason other than just to have them in there. Like it's just yeah. like so you can tell us that these times were brutal and hard. You don't actually have to like make the people that we care about experience them. Thank you. Well, because I mean, very true generally, but also every time they feel like they have to show it that way, it always is a woman getting raped. But also it's like, like as if they can't show brutality otherwise. There's no way that this random guy would have like done that to the queen of Sparta. Yeah. Like no yeah. way. Um, unless it was Alcibiades because he did do that. <laughs> he got her <laughs> pregnant, but that's a different time and a different guy. Um, and no one yeah. can resist the lure of Alcibiades. <laughs> no one. Anyway, no one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, even just thinking about it, like, logically where the only two women basically in the whole movie are the oracle and gorgo yes and you see like, all of their nipples uh-huh and there's no reason storyline wise why especially with the oracle like yeah Unreasonable. They, it's so unnecessary it's deeply inaccurate to a practice that is one of the coolest things about ancient greece and they're like let's take the idea of the oracle of delphi an absolutely incredible thing and let's make it gross and weird and misogynistic even for ancient greece yeah like he's getting off on those crumbly guys licking her face yeah yeah it's yeah it's really i mean i know that it also has this all these fantastical elements and things and like it's part of me is like i guess we should be glad that some of the fantastical elements are not like racializing like the rest of it like it because the rest of it is all in the form of just making oh god we need to talk about the persians yes we got um, <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean it is just it's so it's just unnecessary and mm. gross the whole e4 thing and super ableist like yeah it, and, with, <sighs> and with ifielsies as well oh yeah um like they make the point that like at the beginning they're like oh you know they're all eugenics and all that sort of thing and it's like we'll give you the one example of someone who who you know they would have been, and he's like horribly like misfigured in the shape and like Come yeah on, guys it's awful you don't it's, have a society it's... where everyone's either superman or quasimodo well he also makes the point in it where he's like my parents escaped from sparta and that's why i'm alive and it's like Whoa. no like no that's not no. how any of this worked. No. <laughs> like, no one was telling your parents to get rid of you. That's no. not a thing. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Persians. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about the the Good Persians. It, what's interesting is that in ancient times, the the Greeks and and later the Romans were fairly xenophobic, especially the mm-hmm. Romans, and I, I have much more experience with that. And um, they picked up on a lot of the of, of the kind of characteristics of Persians that they saw as being different to them. But that sort of sense of othering came. I think much later as well. Obviously, the Persians hadn't really done much before the um, the invasions to really warrant all of this. But yeah, I mean, you can perhaps understand how they kind of later on thought we don't really like these Persian guys after all that invading that they did. But the characterization in the film is not trying to represent ancient stereotypes or. Um, 
criticisms of the Persians. They are very, very much rooted in modern, uh, hateful, bigoted ideals, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's certainly something that I emphasize on the show all the time is like the Greeks were xenophobic for sure. Like for, it was typically if you didn't speak Greek, um, but yeah, generally towards the Persians too, for sure. Um, one of the interesting things that came up yesterday for our live tweet was the idea that wearing pants was mm-hmm. what made the Persians so girly and like yeah. feminine and not, you know, up to the Greek oh, yeah. standards. They pants, wore pants. Lord. Like ladies, odd. Um, but yeah, I mean, so they were certainly xenophobic. But yeah, the the way that it manifests and the way that it's shown in the movie is so explicitly anti-Islamic. Yeah. Like it's so it's yeah. I mean, it's just a product of 2006 and American imperialism and and making these people from the East seem not worthy of respect is yeah. is all that it is. It's also just like from a geographical standpoint um and like so many other things it's also just wild yes like the racism is so loud it's so in your face like the skin tone difference between the (laughs) quote-unquote greeks and the quote-unquote persians is truly incredible in a way where technically speaking they would have had basically the same skin tone for the most like obviously the persian empire was enormous and it did span a lot of asia and and beyond so but the people of where literally persia is it's not gonna be that different from the greeks it's not far and for the most part they're also coming from turkey modern turkey in a lot of ways and you're like well i mean the entire invasion started because the ionian greeks were revolting um, and right. they were the Greeks who lived in what is modern day Turkey. And like, they were Greeks, like they were, you know, they were culturally and, and, and I think that the film, like there, there are a number of things that the film does, which is very disappointing to like immediately target this idea. And that the first, I think the first two Persians that we see are both, um, essentially played by African-American actors. Mm-hmm. So, um, they're, they're deliberately shown to be, you know, quite so culturally different to these people um mm-hmm. but then <clears throat> the then you get to i mean there's the, the the usual presentation of the of the um the clothing the styles of clothing the jewelry in particular the jewelry is very much is very much an effeminate um criticism of these mm-hmm. types of people um which is effeminate in a modern sense not in necessarily the way that the ancients would have seen it as well but Mm -hmm. then the presentation of xerxes is the is the most sort of shocking of them all the idea that he's sort of like he's like hairless like he's um like a like a sphinx cat or something (laughs) (laughs) like it it always just strikes me like like why like we have depictions of Xerxes. They have like the beard and the and the, and the head yeah. head. all that. So it's not like we're making this stuff up. But also the fact that he talks in that kind of like that real voice modified tone that mm-hmm. really throws me. I'm like, why did they think that was necessary? Is it like a like a villainous thing or 
like well, so the actors showing like him. Brazilian, yeah, so maybe yeah, they're yeah, sure, like playing that, like trying maybe to, they're make trying to disguise the hola. yeah. <laughs> so it's we know this, this actor's from South America, but like, let's see what we can do with a bit of voice modifying and but it's, the, it's the wildest makeup and effects. Yeah, the combination of this kind of like extremely effeminate presentation with this kind of like deep modified voice, it's very jarring, and I assume that, that that's mm-hmm. just they're trying to just emphasize those things. Of course. Uh, this is my chance to talk about the film Meet the Spartans, um, <laughs> where, Please. which is really funny because they, 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 the guy who plays him, I think, is actually like uh, like a, a Greek uh, or Turkish. I don't want to mix the two of those up, but he's he's from yeah. he's from the area, so he looks like dead set like Greek. But he's like they they cast him as like this kind of like overweight like really hairy chested guy and he's got like the nipple rings and they keep like pulling out <laughs> it's like it's 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 actually funnier because it's mocking the presentation that the film 300 does um yeah. which i actually really like because it's actually like this is you know at least closer to what he would have looked like um but yeah it's just there's there's nothing redeeming about the way that the uh, the persians are shown and then you get to the um you get to the immortals and they have these kind oh, of masks. Yeah. But when the mask comes off again, they're like, they've got defigured faces. Like why? They never explain why they would be like, they're, they're like soldiers. Why are they disfigured? That's the thing. It, it really is othering yes. the Persians in a way so far beyond what the Greeks did, which was to certainly other them in their own way. But yeah. like, yeah, everyone's, deformed or overly sexualized or Mm. their gender presentation is you know different Mm. like i mean it's also it's very 2006 obviously in terms of gender and things like that (sighs) but yeah i mean it's insulting like now watching it today it's insulting to so many different types of people like it's almost like groundbreaking like just how many different groups they they got the full bingo (laughs) in there didn't they (laughs) truly yeah yeah yeah. i mean because it like when you see Xerxes not on the battlefield, it's like this big orgiastic like mm. mess of everything, Harum right? So they're also it. making them, you know, it's it the sexualization is happening. They're making them seem more I- immoral, like mm. all these different things. Yeah, vice and virtue. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much like the Greeks are good. The Greeks did nothing bad. I think there's yes. it, is there the line where they talk about also how or they imply that the Spartans did not have homosexual relations? I, I feel look, like. I do I do need to talk about this film because someone <laughs> someone I can't remember who or where or when or why, but they pointed out that that it is a film that is trying really, really hard not to be homosexual and mm-hmm. absolutely failing at it because it's just <laughs> these like mostly naked men with glistening abs and they're all running around together and marching and going Ooh, ah, and all this sort of stuff and it's like it's so homoerotic like unintentionally homoerotic yes maybe there were some elements of like the presentation of xerxes and his you know the way he interacts with um leonidas that like he's trying to be homosexual in a way because that's how he's presented but like mm-hmm. Leonidas looks like he's really into it at the same time and they did not intend that, I think. And it's just like, yeah, these guys are just, they're just sort of toning each other's glistening bodies. It's just, it's so Yeah, which is like exactly what the Spartans did. Like they spend like every night in a room with all the same dudes all the time and they were absolutely fucking. Like You gotta know they explored each other's bodies. (laughs) 
For sure. Also, it's ancient Greece. Like, dudes did a lot of fucking each other. (laughs) There's no question. And yeah, this movie is trying really hard to be straight. And the people who aren't coded as straight are the bad guys. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... (sighs) It's yeah, unintentionally quite funny. But yeah, I mean, even the the all of this stuff is, is so obviously weird with the Persians too. But they also throw in like a lot of really overt anti Middle Eastern stuff, where they're literally yeah. just like a bunch of the Persians are just like wearing turbans or something of that sort. I'm not going to try to use the right you know it's, it's, it's terminology. Coded. Yeah, but yeah, it is very coded towards just generally being anti Islamic broadly. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's so interesting and and obviously like super dark. Um, but looking at it today, and also just as somebody who is like hyper aware of mm. American imperialism, and mm. like I kind of have realized in the past couple of years that I can't watch most American like spy dramas or anything mm. anymore. Like I just can't do it. I can't deal with how much they love themselves and how much they <laughs> want to talk about how they're the leaders of the free world. And that's the phrase that yeah. will never stop being funny to me. Yes, yes. No one sees you like that except you. No. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so interesting how you could have this movie that is set in ancient Greece and full of, for the most part, British actors. Yes. And, like, still managed to be so pro-America. Like, the phrasing on some of the the moments, like, the when the young guy, the son of, you know, one of Leonidas' men, once, yeah, once he gets his head chopped off, he, I remember also really having a thing for him back in the day because he's just, like, very pretty. And that was so my type when I was, like, 18 and this movie came out. Um, But he gets his head chopped off. And then they're when they're talking about him afterwards, they say... That he gave his life for his country. And I just like (laughs) (sighs) it's just the most American way of phrasing something. Like, I mean, you know, dying in battle, like protecting your people is valid for sure. Like, I'm not suggesting that it isn't, but the I the phrasing of that, and also, I mean, broadly, like countries weren't a thing. Like, no one was (laughs) dying for their country. Like it's very yeah. much like the people who ironically quote Dulce decorum is pro patria more like that's more right okay. it's like um it's a it's well it's a it's a poem from the first world war by one of the great war poets but it's quoting ovid um mm. where ovid has this line where saying it's beautiful and a sweet thing to die for your country and and the and the war poet who quotes it is like very much saying the opposite of it because they've seen mm. the horrors of war and like there was that thing sort of around sort of world, world war one world war two that you know there's a sort of dying for your country it's a valid and, and valiant sort of thing but like i mean a lot of the world kind of went off that after uh, all those millions of people died um, but america they're still on it yeah um yeah yes it's very unfortunate um there were a couple of other things um that I was sort of interested in in the film. Um, obviously, there's there's you can't look at a film from the two thousands onwards that's set in the ancient world without talking about the influence of the film Gladiator, which mm. um, has its issues, but it was revolutionary at the time and it won an Oscar. <laughs> um, oh, uh, yeah. Which is one of those things that you look back and you go like really 
but yeah. um there's a lot of that that comes in through you get the sepia tone um like it's uh like it's a um set in mexico like a 2010 tv drama set in mexico um <laughs> and the sand uh, covering everything <laughs> yes yes and you never see the sun um no. and, yeah and also the fact that um you get to that bit where the end where leonidas is about to die and he's like seeing like flashing images of his wife and child and he's like he's almost pretty much running his hand through the wheat field like in gladiator and the music yeah. um the, the 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 soundtrack of gladiator was so cool and so fresh and new at the time but since then every single film set in the ancient world has completely copied it to the point where it is so annoying to listen to <sighs> frustrates me <laughs> yeah i'd never really like made that explicit connection before but it is i mean especially that end scene when he's about to die you're right like it's the same well it's funny Um, because leonidas died fairly early on in that day and and people get fighting after he died and they're fighting over his body and they they really skip the bit where the persians get his body and cut his head off and put it on a stick that would be that's awesome yeah that would have been a good scene i feel like that that is what like you know this movie wanted to be almost because oh it, i mean as much as it is like gladiator in that way it's like they mm. took it and they were like let's turn it up like five mm. notches you know Absolutely. because it's very Zack snyder so it's very stylistic it's really yeah. in your face with like the sort of the look that they're going for um but yeah at but, the same time super influenced by that but i it seems to me like seeing leonidas's head on a stake would really be in the vein of like what this movie wanted to be Mm. well i think i think you've got the the interesting thing that you do have those two very the you have the zach snyder snyder stylized part of it and also the frank miller stylized part of it which is like those are two like really heavy heavy stylized sort of things um mm-hmm. it'd be like you know <laughs> reading like jane austen done by um wes anderson or something like that it's like <laughs> oh, okay that's <laughs> full on so bad. um <laughs> It sounds horrible um <laughs> but um yeah it's uh, yeah some of the like the what was really great was that halfway through the film i was like wow it's a film from like the 2000s and there hasn't been like a, an interlude with just like rock music playing with like people down. and then like about 10 minutes after i tweeted that suddenly there's this, this battle scene and there's like this war rhino coming through and it's like dun, 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 and i'm like oh there it is it's the 2000s <laughs> Oh dear. The use of animals that just made me think of all of that too. Like, cause there's there's war rhinos and there's elephants. Elephants, yes. It's it's hilarious because it's like it's pretty explicitly his ahistorical in that like yes. they didn't see any of that stuff until Alexander went that far. And yeah, it I mean, just to introduce and then also they have like they're almost not they're, they're like supernatural kind of forms of those animals in certain ways. I think the elephants yeah. are, right? They're like... Oh, they have like a giant... Elephant. They're like... Oh, right. That giant guy. They have a cave troll? Like, yeah. And I'm like, what? They just had some like eight foot guy who like nearly kills everyone. It's like, where did they come from? Yeah. Yeah. It. They really bent over backwards to make the Persians seem quote unquote barbaric. Obviously there's yeah. that, that word coming in, but like to just make them seem so over the top so weird so not western like they are they take like every gross quote-unquote eastern stereotype and they Mm. shove it all into this one place Mm. and then they make the greeks these like good and 
valiant warriors. Valiant, strapping, white, glistening, oiled men. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, What's manlier than two men? Um, But, uh, yeah, and and also the elephants and stuff there, they also kind of just flesh out the scene as well because it's really just fighting. One of the things that they get really wrong in the film as well is is just generally how the fighting would have gone. Like, there's mm. not a lot of historical evidence that, like, the phalanx was even, like, a major tool back then. And it was mm. mainly just that they, they built a wall and they stayed behind it, you know? That's, <laughs> that's mainly how you do that. And in the film, they build this wall and then they stand in front of it and fight. I'm like, you guys are going to get pushed into the wall. That's how warfare works. <laughs> you don't put yourself with a wall behind you they'll pin you to it there's no way that yeah, they have this initial sort of confrontation and this crush like a phalanx battle and then suddenly like the persians just stop coming like there's tens of thousands of them and they just all like hang back a bit and attack one at a time it's just so stupid well especially if you are the whole point is to be utilizing this like narrow pass yes they're not yeah but also like they they confuse their geography a lot because at mm. one point it's like a narrow pass and then somehow it's like it's like a, a seaside like cliff route where like there's mm. a mountain on one side and then there's just ocean on the other side, which is like if you go to Thermopylae, like it's, it's not how it works. Well, and apparently like modern Thermopylae, the sea level is so different from yeah. what it would have been back then, which is interesting. But yeah, I always pictured it as kind of like a cliffside and then the mountains and then there's like a pass within mm. the mountains. The pass um, wasn't wasn't even that narrow either. It was just a generally a, a choke point that you couldn't fight a pitch battle on, which when you right. look at the the most of the battles that happen later in the in the ancient world, it's just like you pick a site, we'll line up, you guys line up, we'll run at each other. Like that was warfare for a long time. <laughs> um, but yeah. The Persians didn't even have to fight this battle. They actually, um, yeah. according to Herodotus, Xerxes waits three days to just hope, you know, just to see if they'll run away or not um, before <laughs> even engaging them. And then he sends, like, some waves of people through, but, like, it's a wall and the people are up there and they're like, oh, this is a bit stupid. Why am I going to waste my men um, attacking, like, a well-defended position? Like, who would do that? In somewhere um, in near the the entrance to the Black Sea. Oh wait, no, that's Gallipoli. Sorry, that's in New Zealand. Don't need to say. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, like, and and this idea about like the goat path being betrayed to them. It's like, well, no, like they're not idiots. Like they were definitely gonna go and have a look for another path around. It's not like all oh, the Spartans would have won if they hadn't been betrayed by this amazing secret that somehow someone had made a path through the mountains, <laughs> which is also really funny in the film. Cause at one point Xerxes just, just like watching the battle from the top of the mountains. Like, bro, how'd you get up there? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> like, like you can't, if you yeah. can get up there, you can't find a way to the other side. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> it's so stupid. Now, one of the, um, one of the points that the movie doesn't really, um, convey which i think is quite interesting is the also the false notion that thermopylae was kind of like a uh like a holding point to allow everyone to kind of regroup and 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 it it won them the war because it bought them the time to do something which is like mm-hmm. a completely false narrative 
Um, and and I, I can't talk about Thermopylae without kind of getting into this. Like the idea that holding up the Persians for three or four days achieved anything in terms of the overall strategic campaign of the second Persian invasion. It's laughable. Like, what the hell is three days going to make difference? Like, um, in the end, the reason that, that the the invasion failed was because of the Athenian fleet at Salamis being able to draw them into confrontation again where they weren't suited for it, defeating the fleet, and Xerxes just buggering off because he couldn't be bothered doing it anymore. It was pretty much it. Well, yeah, I mean, they almost kind of present it in the movie, at least, that like Thermopylae is like their only entrance point to the mainland, which is wild. Like, no, Greece is one, pretty accessible, and two, like, I mean, there's the they are attached (laughs) to Persia, (laughs) they are not detached. Yes. Um, And this just reminds me of. I was talking to to Rule, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because oh, yes, I had it yeah. really spelled out phonetically for when I was able to do that on the show. Um, uh, he made a joke about it too off the mic, so I feel like I can. But but he was talking about how um, Herodotus like not only says that it is like three million Persians yeah. that are defeated basically in this moment. But he also goes into depth about like how exactly they figured out that there were three million, which is yeah. so interesting to me. And apparently they he was saying that they like the idea was that they like built a holding pen that would like hold ten thousand and then they just like <laughs> filled it and counted and then filled it and then counted, which is hilarious and like yes. so time consuming and like why would anyone do that? And then even with all these like detailed explanations for how there were three million. Um, Rule was saying that like basically if there were three million like they would have spanned like the whole way between Greece and Sparta or and not in Sparta between Greece and, and Persia like they completely destroyed the landscape and all the crops and everything yeah, on the way it would have been like a column of people like reaching all of the way back yes. <laughs> to the east like it's just amazing and I do think that the movie really plays up the volume of yeah. Persians to make it so impressive and and deeply inaccurate of course again like that's that's a problem of the sources more so than it's a problem yes. of the graphic novel or the movie sure. like but you know that's you a learn, herodotus problem you learn very quickly to take any numbers in a source with a massive massive pile of salt um because you just you generally knock off one or two zeros <laughs> is my is my recommendation but they also or in um, the case of the greeks add zeros yes well exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you add zeros to the good guys and you take them off the bad guys. Um, yeah. Well, they do briefly mention the storm that um, damages the Persian fleet in the film. Mm. But what's really interesting is that they don't mention the fact that while the Battle of Thermopylae is going on, there's actually a naval battle happening just up the road, um, which could have been far more decisive. Um, if the Athenians or if the, the combined Greek fleet, which was kind of being led by the Athenians, if they had been defeated then um i mean they hardly would have been able to regroup at salamis or if the persian fleet had been defeated there they probably wouldn't have kept going so it was a much more important battle that essentially ended in a stalemate because neither side was um able to sort of pull off a victory like they did in salamis but um it's just not mentioned in the film at all (laughs) 
Yeah. But it's so much more important to the, the scale of the things apart from the propaganda value that Democrat has. I just think it's, yeah, it's such an interesting um, thing that gets overlooked is the, the scale that the naval battles had on that campaign. They're just not as exciting as, you know, no. 300 standing up against millions. And then people were like, oh, there's a sequel. Watch the sequel. I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I can do another one. I was just going to say I've never seen it. But mm. I, yeah, I mean, I know they do have uh, Artemisia in it, though, which is pretty mm. cool. Mm. But that's about all I need. I just know that there was a woman running something. So, so. good for her. But I've read that in Herodotus, and I don't know that I need to see it in 300 form. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just generally so interesting the way that the Spartan propaganda has taken hold of this and then turned it into something that now became like its own form of propaganda with the the volume of people on the alt-right and... And like, yeah, and the libertarians, like you're saying too, like the the volume of like just how much Sparta has become a whole thing for them. Like, um, I think this episode, yeah, it will come out the day after my episode with Stephen Hodkinson, who is this major expert on Sparta. And right now, I think he's basically retired. And so he just spends all of his time talking about the alt-right to sparta like pipeline or rather like the reverse sparta to alt-right pipeline and but also like i mean he shared so much that i wasn't aware of with the the way that sparta has been viewed and used politically like over hundreds of years there's so much to say on that which i had no idea but even just like just even talking about like american alt-right and the way they use sparta like the amount of stuff that came up um you know during the whole trump era and his election and everything and the the way that like even like scenes from 300 were like edited to have like trump superimposed over like leonidas and things like that it gets it's wild the way that they use it and i mean it's all based in like a complete misunderstanding not only in what happened but also in like just the like we're saying the function of sparta like everything about sparta it's misunderstanding all of it um but it is so fascinating the way that this like false version of sparta and of thermopylae has completely taken hold of the public narrative and how it really like like i keep having moments where i think am i mentioning 300 as the the almost instigator of this like too much but Mm. no like it honestly like i mean a little maybe but like i do think this movie and the graphic novel have a lot more sway than almost any other classical reception movie like they have caused more visible damage in a way that is kind of mind-blowing I, I I absolutely agree. Like, there's no no one really went out after Gladiator and was like, "I'm gonna go be a Gladiator." <laughs> you know? Yeah, or Troy. Like, yeah, nothing. No, it didn't, didn't happen. So it's 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 had quite a shocking impact um, from all of our perspectives. We have talked about so much. Uh, very mm. piecemeal, I will say. But yeah. good luck stringing um, it all I, together. Yeah, it's just that there, I mean, there's too much to say and then too many things feed into too many other things. This movie is just so wild and the ancient sources are so wild. So there's, yes. it's just endless. Um, But are there any other like major plot points or anything that you wanted to talk about? I think 
that pretty much covers it all. Um, <laughs> I'm just now all I can think of is the is the Meet the Spartans film. Where at the climax, <laughs> is there anything else from that you want to share? <laughs> yeah, because because it's like these parody films are such an uh, uh, like an iconic piece of culture because they don't just parody one film; they parody any film or pop culture event that happened within like the last year and a half of when the film came out and so you just get this weird mishmash of all these strange references to things that you'd forgotten about so this is kind of like it's a it's kind of like an archive of the late 2000s and so like in the in the in battle um xerxes for some reason like turns into like one of the transformers and he like gets into this (laughs) this full like mech bodysuit it's just like just some of the images you just cannot get out of your mind um yeah no it's great that just Um, reminded me that because of when this movie came out and because of when transformers came out so I got my cat like literally within like two months of moving out of my mom's house. I was like 18, just to turn, just about to turn 19. And that would have been in 2007. And so this movie came in 2006. So it was like a little old, but it must've come out at the end of the year because like this was pretty recent and transformers was really recent. And so I got this kitten and originally before I got him, his name was Pippin because I am me. Um, It's my cat's name now. yeah we've had i realized yeah we've had this conversation because that was my cat's name and i wish it had stayed but when i got him i was just like i don't know i don't i just am not feeling it i don't think this is the right name for you and my roommate at the time and her boyfriend we were like always throwing out these names so i don't remember how long either of them stuck but there was at least a time when either i had accepted this briefly or my roommate was pitching me (laughs) on calling my cat both leonidas and megatron or optimus prime or somebody from from transformers for sure megatron's great name (laughs) yeah and thankfully i landed on lupin which is funny to say thankfully because i now Uh, i love my cat i do wish my cat's (sighs) name creator hadn't turned out to be the turfiest horror show of a human ever yeah um so every time i say my cat's name i'm like it's from a different time he's almost 16 okay <laughs> don't judge me uh but yeah so i'll say i wish it was still pippin but this was of a time when yeah between transformers and <laughs> 300 what a time it was went, went through a whole ringer of names um but that that even just talking about me the spartans is like such a throwback to the 2000s because what the younger listeners might not realize is that that was like a whole genre in itself for like a decade there was parodies of every big movie i mean it started i would imagine with scary movie parodying scream and every other scary movie and there were like six of those and then meet the spartans and then there was not another teen movie which starred chris evans of all people and like there was just like this was a whole world where we had to parody everything and like you said it wasn't just the movie it was obviously parodying but it did also have to have all these like connections to everything else that had happened yeah. and that is fascinating is there anything else like particularly ridiculous in me um like they do this like uh, i was saying before they do like this kind of like american idol thing and so there's like britney right. spears shaving her hair off um oh my god and, yeah, of its time yeah i know and like watching it is like just like wow what a throwback um yeah. uh 
I, I genuinely can't think of many other ones, but like the ones that absolutely st- stand out for me are the, the happy feet in the beginning, just like slapping the guy. Um, I just, it's just a perfect image. And um, yeah, and just a lot of kicking people down the well because clearly they were sure. like, this is what people want to see. Yeah. I mean, and I realize I meant to kind of stick on that earlier, but like, I would like to understand the logic behind the well. Like, I would like to understand <laughs> what they actually imagined, you know. Who's using this well? It, yeah. Like, what was its purpose beyond kicking messengers in it to send a message? There's like, no bucket or anything there. There's no pulley or. Yeah. And there's no rail. So it is, no. I mean, like you're saying earlier, deeply unsafe. It is not up <laughs> to code. Like, and it's not like the greeks weren't clumsy like <laughs> they're still <laughs> human i don't know it just seems like the Oops, most Pozanius fell down the well today guys sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's all right i was sleeping with his wife <laughs> oh that's one of the other things that this movie Uh-oh. definitely leaves out and i learned yes. um in in my conversations it will have been in the episode from from yesterday once this one airs but yeah it's that the spartans not only shared wives but also husbands like Everything in an effort to create more official mm. Spartans. Of course, they shared everything. Well, that that sometimes... was the whole the whole, the whole problem with um, Leonidas's father was that he couldn't have um, he he was having no children. His wife wasn't having children, and so they had this whole big meeting with the E fours and everyone. They're like, "Well, can he marry another wife without like losing the first wife?" And they were like, "Well, we'll make this exception this one time." So, and he has this um, son with the second wife and then suddenly the first wife starts having babies and it's kind of like, okay, so you're trying with both anyway, just for fun. And it gets into this whole like kind of succession crisis thing. And it's, it's all very, very interesting. And I can't believe that they left all of it out. Yeah, there's just so much content. Uh, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this. This is me sounding more scripted uh, <laughs> than just talking to a regular human. Um, but honestly, I mean, yeah, I, it's what's funny is we talked about doing this, like, I would say at least six months ago, like when I first had the idea of doing a Sparta series, I was like, mm. you should come and talk about 300. So thank you for doing it a good six yeah. months later. I, I thought you'd forgotten about me, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. I knew I had to talk about 300 and I figured you were going to be a very fun person to talk to about. And I was correct. That's very nice. Well, I, yeah, I I obviously have to say thank you for having me on again. Second time lucky. It's very, um, very exciting uh, to um, bore and annoy people with my New Zealand accent. Um, But deal with it. If you're still listening now, I don't know why, but um, thank you. uh, Thank you for having me and thank you for people for listening to that. It's been great. Well, uh, I love a New Zealand accent. I don't, I mean, you said this last time too. I can't understand anyone not liking a New Zealand accent. They're so lovely. You say things like chili bin and yes. I'll never get over it. Uh, <laughs> so I will have already said this at the top, but where can my listeners find more from you? I think you're fairly uh, prevalent on the internet, perhaps. Yes, I, I am known to <laughs> appear on the internet now and then. So um, you can find me on a variety of social media sites with the handle CSMFHT, Classic Studies Men, Hellenistic Teens. Yes, I chose the name about 
five, six years ago, and it did start on Facebook, so I'm stuck with it. But uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter mainly, um, a bit on Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube. I'm putting out a Substack at some point if I get round to it. But wow. uh, mainly Twitter and Facebook is where you'll find me. Wahoo. Woohoo. And I understand the naming yourself something potentially on a whim <laughs> and then paying for it for the next five years. Yes. So I get it. Ah, nerds, nerds, nerds. What a fucking movie. Am I right? Whew. Now I've got to go watch Meet the Spartans, too. <laughs> Thank Ben for that. Uh, 2006. What a time to be alive. Thank you all for listening. As always, I hope you enjoyed this little extra bit of fun and uh, critique of American imperialism. <laughs> it was really fun to record. So fun that, as you heard, I, at one point I laughed with such enthusiasm that I unplugged my microphone because I am a professional. So yeah, follow Ben wherever that you get your memes, wherever, whatever social media you like. You heard him mention them all, and there are links in this episode's description. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians. She handles so many podcast-related things, from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and videos to editing and research. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by iHeartMedia. Help me continue bringing bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron where you'll get bonus episodes and more. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby or click the link in this episode's description. You are all the best. I am Liv and I love this shit. I mean, even if 300 is wild nonsense. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Thank you.